Welcome to the Mount Carmel Christian Church Podcast. In our sermon series, Obedient, we are looking at why being rooted in Christ brings about the blessing of fruitful living. Today's speaker is Senior Minister Didi Bacon. So we've been given our attention for the last month, since the first Sunday in September, we have been working through the Bible book called 1 Timothy. And we discovered that 1 Timothy is really a letter written by uh, the Apostle Paul to a man named Timothy, who is Timothy's son in the faith. He is a young man who has been mentored and included in the Apostle Paul's team who join in Paul in his ministry, and we find out that specifically the occasion of this writing is that Timothy is being assigned by Paul to be Paul's representative, to be the leader, to be the preacher of the church in Ephesus, and Paul's writing this letter to give Timothy instruction, to give him direction. It's a private letter to Timothy, but it's really a public letter in that Timothy would be expected to read the letter to the church members. It's a letter that gives Timothy instruction on how to go about living for Jesus at that time. It gives instruction to the church, and quite honestly, it provides us instruction for us today as we follow Jesus in our life at this time. Now, the central theme of First Timothy is this. Hold on to the teachings you've received from me, Paul says. Hold on to the teachings that have come by the Holy Spirit through me, the apostle. Hold on to sound doctrine, and we could say everything that is considered sound doctrine would be the stuff we have contained within our Bibles. Hold on to that and apply that to life because sound doctrine applied to life results in sound living. Sound doctrine applied to life results in sound living. And of course, last week, Tim, our teaching minister, Tim Peace, wrapped things up, chapter 6, and he talked about money. And really, money is the landing spot when it comes to living life. If you want to know what a person values, if you want to know what a person uh, thinks is important, if you want to know what a person worships and loves... Observe how they use money. Your checkbook says more about your faith than pretty much anything else. That's what Jesus said. And so Paul wraps things up and says the ultimate test of sound living, sound doctrine plus sound living, can be seen in how you use money, how you spend money, how you approach money. And that's where we ended last week. And now we're shifting to 2 Timothy, Paul's second letter to Timothy. So we have the same people involved, Paul's writing to Timothy. Timothy is more than likely still in Ephesus. We're not sure the, the time between 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy, we guess, years. But the occasion, the circumstances surrounding why Paul is writing 2 Timothy are very different than why he's writing 1 Timothy. Paul writes 2 Timothy from a prison cell in Rome. He's in prison in Rome, likely for the second time. 
If you're familiar with the story in the book of Acts, you will see that Paul was arrested in Jerusalem in the book of Acts, and he makes an appeal. I'm going to take my case to the emperor as his right as a Roman citizen, and then he's taken to Rome where the book of Acts ends with him in Rome and under house arrest, preaching the gospel, doing his work. And tradition says that Paul is released from that, and there's no, no reason to detain him, and he then goes on to continue on his missionary work. He apparently goes into Spain and starts churches there and then gets arrested once again for preaching Jesus and is taken back to Rome where he says he no doubt faces imminent execution. And so in many ways we can say 2 Timothy, it is the last letter that we have of Paul. It's the last bit of his writing. It's towards the end of his life. And it's in many ways his last will and testament. And it's a letter that he writes personally to Timothy. It's more personal in nature, although it would have been shared with the church because there is instruction, but it's more personal in nature from a man who is facing death after being faithful to God. And the theme of 2 Timothy can be summarized as this. In the face of discouragement, in the face of disillusionment, in the face of trial and trouble, in the face of things not working out as you thought they would, stay faithful. Hold on to Jesus. Don't let go. You know, I think about the theme of Timothy, and please, you're now entering into the crazy mind of Deity, and I'm reminded of a scene from a movie. It's that scene from the very first Star Wars. Went to see it, I think, in 77. I was a little, little, little kid. Uh, 1977, A New Hope. And do you remember that scene where the rebel fighters are coming in to take on the Death Star? And the job is that they have to, to drop a missile, a bomb, or whatever down that small little hole, the exhaust port. And as they're going, they're going in various runs, and they're going to drop that bomb in there, and Darth Vader and his guys are picking them off. And you have that scene where the rebel fighters are panicking, and they want to pull out, and there's a calm voice of their leader, and he just keeps telling them, stay on target, stay on target. Remember that? Well, if you don't, here it is. Just watch it. This is it. You should be able to see it by now. Keep your eyes open for those fighters. Stay on target. We're too close. Stay on target. Stay on target. Stay on target. That's the theme of 2 Timothy. Written to Christians who are being faithful to God, who are facing imminent trouble. Apostle Paul, having been released, having enjoined the grace of God, the working of God to, to see him released from prison, to continue on the ministry of, of starting churches, is now arrested. And he's talking like he's not going to get out this time. Things are beginning to get bad for Christians. Paul says, there are people who are close to me who are not only abandoning me, but they're abandoning Jesus in the face of trouble. The clouds of persecution are beginning to roll in. 
under the Roman administration now shifting in its opinion regarding Christians, seeing them as a troublesome sect, as a subversive cult. The days in which Christians could live freely are now being numbered, and soon they would be prosecuted and persecuted, tortured and killed because they're Jesus followers, and their leaders would be the first to go. Leaders like Timothy, Timothy, kind of prone to be afraid and timid. And Paul writes his letter from prison in the dark cell of Roman detention. He writes his letter asking Timothy, hey, come, come see me. Come, come be with me at this time. And don't lose hope. Don't forget Jesus. Stay on target. Be faithful. If you'd give your attention to the first chapter, 2 Timothy, starting at verse 12, we pick this up. We pick up the theme emanating throughout all his words. Paul says, that is why I'm suffering as I am. He's just explained the, his circumstances and where he's at for preaching Jesus. Yet this is no sh cause for shame, he says. This is no cause for shame because I know whom I have believed and am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until that day. What you heard from me, keep as the pattern of sound teaching with faith and love in Christ Jesus. Guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you. Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. This is a hard thing to say, but it's the truth. And it's the truth that comes from the Bible and it's the truth that is experienced in our lives. Faithfulness to Jesus is no guarantee against suffering. Faithfulness to Jesus is no guarantee against suffering. Every Monday after lunch, I get an email from someone from the office where there has been a compilation, a putting together of your prayer needs, of your prayer requests. You who are Jesus followers, you who are striving to live faithfully for God, and you share your prayer needs. You share your prayer requests. And the motivation for doing that, the reason why you're doing that is because you believe that God is able to hear you in your times of trouble. You believe that prayer accesses a resource greater than yourself to help you through. Through what? Through pain, through suffering, through difficulty. You write, because you're struggling because of illness or because you've lost a job or because you know of an unborn baby who's been diagnosed with a serious condition. You cry out in prayer because your body is broken or maybe even your marriage is breaking, that you struggle daily with fear and anxiety over death. You write because you seek comfort because of the sadness and tragedy of the death of a loved one or because you have a child who has a drug addiction or that your family is mourning the loss of an unborn baby in miscarriage. 
the details of the prayer requests I get every Monday and pray over, as well as our elders and our staff and our prayer team members, the details confirm the truth that faithfulness to Jesus is no guarantee against suffering. Why do we suffer? Well, truth is, is there's no one simple answer that captures the, that question. That question is complicated and varied. We suffer for a variety of reasons. We may be suffering because we are reaping what we've sown in our decisions. We've made bad decisions, poor decisions, and those decisions are now bearing fruit in our life that come in the form of pain and suffering. We call it the consequences. We may suffer as a consequence for someone else's poor decisions, bad decisions. Someone whom we're connected to, someone whom we love, may make bad decisions that now affect us, and we're suffering because of that. Bible says we may suffer because of the enemy, that there are demonic forces at work seeking to go against the people of God, and we may suffer because of that. And then... This one, we might suffer because of God. We may be faithful to God, and our faithfulness may lead us to a place where He uses suffering for our correction, for our discipline, for our growth, for our faith, for His will and purposes. What? Yeah, have you read the book of Job? Job was a righteous man, but his story is a story of suffering for the glory of God. Have you read this time about when the disciples came to Jesus and said, hey, Jesus, why is that guy, why is he blind and being born blind? Was it because of his sin or the sin of his parents? And Jesus said, uh, wrong on both counts. He's blind, what did he say? For the glory of God. He's blind for the purposes of God. People say, I don't believe in God because he wouldn't let good people suffer. And sometimes we as Christians think we got to try to work out why we have to answer that and try to get God off the hook, try to get Jesus off the hook for that. And the reality is, is we serve a God who says, hey, I went on the hook. Suffering is the way. Because Jesus didn't deserve to suffer, yet he did because of love on the cross. It's hard for us to think about the fact that faithfulness to God may lead us to suffering. It's where it hits us hardest. Why does it hit us hardest? Well, many times because we suffer for what Tim talked about in his discussion with money last week, because we have this transactional view of our relationship with God, right, when it comes to money. I'll be generous, God, because I know you promise reward. So I'll give knowing that that is, in effect, a monetary investment that I seek a monetary blessing from. Or we might say, I will do what's right. I want to see God's blessing, so I will pray hard, and I will read my Bible like I should, and I'll serve my neighbor like I should, and I'll participate in the worship service at a church like I should. I will be a good person. And because of that, God, you owe me. I deserve. I've done this for you. So then now my kids are not going to get sick. My kids won't rebel. I won't lose my job. Angels will make sure that that drunk driver misses me when he swerves across the road. But the reality is, is the Bible doesn't say that. Our relationship with God is not transactional. 
It's a relation of faith and love. It's a relationship of grace. It's a relationship of a father and a child. And our experience, according to Scripture, is that we who are faithful to Jesus will experience both miracle and suffering. You read the book of Revelation, what do you get? You get uh, pictures of God's divine intervention to save the church, and then testimony of people suffering and dying for Jesus. You read the book of Acts, and you come across the story of the Apostle James who is beheaded after imprisonment, and then about a chapter or so away, you got the story of Peter, another apostle who's in prison, and he's released miraculously by an angel. You got the story of Stephen, who was stoned to death. And then you have further down in Scripture the story of Paul himself being stoned and getting up miraculously alive and well. Our experience in life is this. As Jesus follows, God will give us moments of miraculous deliverance, and yet we will also experience times of pain and suffering because of our faithfulness. In the course of our faith journey, we go through times described by John Ortberg in one of his chapters of his book called Soul Keeping. We will go through times that are described as dark nights of the soul. Ortberg gets this concept from a man named St. John of the Cross. Dark nights of the soul, those times in which you feel like God has moved away and is not available. I love his description. In the book, he said, it's like, remember those days when you used to have bench seats in the car or in the truck, and it was a good time to have the honey close, right? She would slide over, and you'd be like, yeah, baby. <laughs> and especially if you're driving a truck, you'd be like, I'm the man. And if you have the honey, I'm like, I'm the man, right? <laughs> but then for some reason, you're driving in the truck, and you're on the bench seat with your honey, and she won't be even close to you. I mean, she's like pushed up against the passenger door, and you're like, I don't know what I did or said. What's happening? Ortberg said that's kind of what happens in the dark night of the soul. God's in the car, but he's nowhere close to be reached, unavailable. In the dark night of the soul, no amount of more fixes it. No amount of more praying, no amount of more reading the Bible, no amount more of doing good stuff and trying to figure it out and striving to, to make things better fixes it. God just doesn't seem to be available. It seems like he's moved. And why he's moved, who knows? But he's moved. During those moments of dark night of the soul, we might seek answers and we might come across some sound Bible-based teaching, insights from people like Randy Alcorn. I came across a blog post, and he had some good things to say. He said, you know, he wrote, God could create scientists, mathematicians, athletes, and musicians. He doesn't. He creates children who take on those roles over a long process. God doesn't make us fully Christ-like the moment we're born again. He conforms us to the image of Christ gradually. 2 Corinthians 3.18, And we who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory are being transformed into His likeness with ever-increasing glory. 
In our spiritual lives, he says, as in our professional lives, as in sports and hobbies, we improve and excel by handling failure and learning from it. Only in cultivating discipline, endurance, and patience do we find satisfaction and reward. And those qualities are most developed through some form of suffering. Now, you can read that and you can nod your head in agreement, and you might be in a moment in which you're going through the dark, a dark night of suffering in a moment where you feel like God has moved away from you for nothing that you've done. You may be in that situation, and you may receive this, this, this information, and the truth is it might satisfy you mentally, but it's not going to touch you in the heart. Because in those seasons of the dark night of the soul, words, explanations, lessons just don't work. Ultimately, we come to what Paul says about himself facing imminent death, sitting in prison. Yet this is no cause for shame because I know whom I have believed and I am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted him to him until that day. I know Jesus. And ultimately, in those dark nights of the soul, times, we have to just trust that Jesus is faithful. Paul tells Timothy, I like how North, uh, New American Standard says it, guard through the Holy Spirit who dwells in us the treasure which, you ha which has been entrusted to you. What's the treasure? Well, the treasure is this gift of grace. The reality that I'm a child of God and I'm valuable to God and I have value to give. Hold on to the truth that trust that God is faithful. And that in the dark night of the soul, in the time in which you are immersed in pain, in the season in which Dallas Willard said, you will be tested in your joyful confidence in God. Trust that Jesus is faithful. Hold on. Stay on target. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I have hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the person who seeks him. It is good that he waits silently for the salvation of the Lord. Lamentations 3. Words written in a season in which the nation of Israel we're in the dark night of the soul. I once heard this story. I cannot tell you where I heard it, but I'll never forget it. I heard a story about a woman, a good woman, a godly woman, faithful wife, devoted mother. This woman lost her family in a tragic accident. Unexplainable, terrible. During her season of grief and bewilderment, she was plagued by a nightmare. The nightmare went like this. She was in the desert. And in the desert, you can see for miles the big sky. It was sunset. And the sun was going down, and she could see 
coming toward her, the shadow of the night, like a dark curtain descending upon her. And she was petrified, terrified. And so she turned her back to the night and ran as hard as she could to the setting sun. And she ran and she ran, but the night began to creep in on her and began to almost touch her heels. And when that happened, she would wake up in terror. Night after night, she was plagued by this nightmare. She cried out to God for relief, working through the grief of losing her family. One night, as she faced the darkness in the dream, as the scenario began to play once again, she heard a voice, a comforting voice who said, Stop. Turn around. Be still. Embrace the night. Because through the night, you can come to the dawn. Be still. Trust Jesus. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Yes, wait for the Lord. Kara Tippetts was an author, mother of four, and co-worker with her pastor husband, Jason. She died and went to be with the Lord on March 22, 2015. She battled a long battle against breast cancer. As the cancer spread, Kara courageously embraced her situation, trusting in God. She believed that cancer was not the point. Jesus was. Near the end of her life, she wrote these words. My little body has grown tired of the battle. And treatment is no longer helping. But what I see, what I know, what I have is Jesus. He has still given me breath, and with it I pray I would live well and fade well. By degrees, doing both, living and dying, as I have moments left to live, I get to draw my people close. Kiss them tenderly and speak love over their lives. I get to pray into eternity my hopes and fears for the moments of my lives, of my loves. I get to laugh and cry and wonder over heaven. I do not feel like I have the courage for this journey, but I have Jesus, and he will provide. He has given me so much to be grateful for, and that gratitude, that wandering over his love will cover us all. And it will carry us, carry us in ways we cannot comprehend. If you are struggling, you're doing your best to be faithful to Jesus. It doesn't seem to be working. You feel like you're in the dark night of the soul. You might nod your head, yes, I, I, I guess I'm, I'm trying to learn what God's trying to teach me. I'm trying to be faithful. I know this is going to turn out good, but I'm just, I'm just not there. Be still.
stop striving. Wait on the Lord. Trust Jesus. Stay on target. Come, behold the works of the Lord. Who has wrought, wrought desolations in the earth? He makes wars to cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and cuts the spear in two. He burns the chariots with fire. Cease striving and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our stronghold. Cease striving. Know that I am God. Whatever your burden, whatever the cause of your struggle, cease striving. Know that God is God. Trust Jesus. Stay faithful. Know that it is well with your soul. Let's stand. Instead of praying, we're going to sing our prayer in a song that we know. The words of the song were penned by a father who, and a husband who lost family members drowning in a shipwreck. And the moment he crossed over the place, traveling from the U.S. to England, the place he covered, he penned these words, words that we know well, words that we encourage you to sing by faith. As we sing, I'm going to invite members of our prayer team to come forward. They'll be available to you to pray in person. Perhaps you are in a moment in which you need the assistance of a brother or sister in Christ to pray with you, to cry out to Jesus. They're available for that. If they're available to you if you are in a season of your life which you need the light to make a faith commitment to be a child of God, never to be forsaken, to live with the hope that if I even die, I serve a God of resurrection. What more needs to be said? Sing together. Come down for prayer if you need. After we sing, we'll be sent out with a blessing. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, The clouds be rolled.
Thank you for listening. You can interact with us online at our website, www.mtcarmelchurch.org. Also on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram.